This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood, live from the First Midwest Bank Studios on the corner of State and Lake in the Loop. This is ESPN 1000 WPTV Chicago. Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood, weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. Donna goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Angling. 25-20. Got a block for Brock. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. 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 Don't win it. We're headed to Atlanta. Trubisky's going to run it. And he is going to get a first down. How about Trubisky to the 42-yard line? Oh, my goodness. In the ring. Steamboat's got him up. A slam. The Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Live from Chicago, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app with open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776. It's a telephone number. Hit me up on Snapchat, SnapJHood, on Instagram, IGJHood, as we broadcast live from our first Midwest Bank studio. We will hear from Jesse Rogers, who covers the Cubs for ESPN.com, uh, coming up at 7.30. We've got one question. Some people just don't have time for a full interview, but they do have time for one question. we got that for you coming up at 7.50. Also, Jeff Dickerson covers the Bears for ESPN.com at ESPN 1000. He'll be part of summer football. We start at 8 o'clock every night. At 8 o'clock, we give you something football, something college, something pro, something fantasy. J.D. is going to be with us with his thoughts his overarching thoughts about the Bears because training camp is right around the corner. We've been leading you into this for a while now, and here it is. Bourbon A and also training camps across this country for the NFL and college football. It's it's happening, and we're talking about it right here on Under the Hood. We also have uh, Tales from the Hood for you and big fight taking place on Saturday. Manny Pacquiao, he's done, right? He's finished, right? Manny Pacquiao beat uh, the undefeated Thurman uh, on uh, Saturday in Las Vegas. So you know what this means, right? It's got to be Pacquiao Thurman 2, Electric Boogaloo. It's going to happen, right? There's going to have to be a sequel to this at some point. So Kendall Gill, how about this? Someone who has fought, Kendall Gill. Kendall Gill is going to be with us because he called the fight with Ray Flores, did the internationals. Um, and he was right there at ringside. So we're going to talk to him about the atmosphere and what his expectations is now with Pacquiao with that victory on Saturday. We do talk uh, mixed martial arts. We do talk boxing. We do talk to combat sports right here on UTH. So glad that you're with us here. 312-332-ESPN. Hope that you had a great weekend. Hope you have a, a great Monday night. We're with you until 9 o'clock. And then it's Freddie and Fitzsimmons here on ESPN 1000 and ESPN app. For Monday and Tuesday, we're off at 9 o'clock. That is our special schedule here with our summer hours. 
for some reason here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Let me start first with a little baseball. Uh, about a little baseball. I, you know, yesterday or the weekend is one of my favorite weekends in sports. It wasn't because necessarily because of the Open. <laughs> I mean, hats off to Lowry for winning, right? I mean, I talked about that a lot. If you listen over the weekend, you heard me on Dickerson and Hood talk about Lowry and talk about the Open. I mean, that was fine. But the reason why it's one of my favorite weekends is because of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And as I grow older, I'm more and more familiar with these players that go to the Hall of Fame. I looked at the list and saw that uh, we saw that Mariano Rivera, the most dominant closer I've ever seen, goes into the Hall of Fame. Doc Holliday, who was not necessarily great, but he was very, very good, goes into the Hall of Fame. Um, and his wife had a, a great speech, by the way. The late Doc Holliday and his, his wife was tremendous with the speech. Mike Mussina won 270 games. Mike Mussina was dull, but Mike, Mus- Mike Mussina was a guy that got the job done, deserving of getting into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Edgar Martinez, a lot of push and pull for those that don't like the DH, that don't like uh, American League Baseball. Edgar Martinez is a Hall of Famer. Two batting titles, 418 career on base percentage, 312 batting average, um, over a, a 400 a number of times in his career. I mean, he was just a tremendous player. And again, DH, but still an offensive weapon. And as Edgar Martinez will tell you, being a DH is like pinch hitting four times. And that's not that's not easy to do, right? So we, we go through those names. And, of course, the names that resonate with us here in Chicago is Lee Smith and Harold Baines. I was happy to see both of their careers. And so with Harold Baines as a White Sox fan, as I told you before the Hall of Fame, I, I just Harold Baines is not a Hall of Famer, but he is he is a, a Hall of the Very Good and a Hall of Famer to a lot of White Sox fans. You can understand why. People thought a controversial selection, right, to have Harold in the Hall of Fame. There's no question that former White Sox manager Tony Larusa and probably Jerry Reinsdorf twisted an arm or two to try to get Harold into the Hall of Fame. The slash line for Harold is 289, 356, 465, 384 home runs, 2,800 hits, over 1,700 RBIs, somewhere in that vicinity, 34th on the all-time list in RBIs, that 324 in 31 postseason games. And again, Tony La Russa being part of that old committee twisted an arm to get Harold in. Hall of Fame person, not a Hall of Fame baseball player, but I'm not here to throw cold water on Harold because he's in there. And he accomplished a lot while he was in baseball. But you can just tell that the standards have changed when it comes to the Hall of Fame. As we grow older in this, watching baseball, we won't see any more 300-game winners. That's done in Major League Baseball because of how specialized it is. And also, you will still get these baby boomers and some of these Gen Xers, my generation, Gen Xers, that will look at the steroid era and say, oh, there's no way that guy's getting in because that guy was in the steroid era. And they'll pick and choose, guys, and it'll make you say, wait a minute, how are these guys in the Hall of Fame when you have the all-time Cy Young winner and you have the home run king And you have the all-time hit king, not in the Hall of Fame. That's baseball for you. As you're listening to ESPN 1000, ESPN app, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. So I'm happy for Harold Baines. I'm happy that he's getting I know that he's not, but I'm happy that he is. And one of the reasons why I'm happy he is 
and, and Eric, you, you probably know this too. Like, Harold gets in the Hall of Fame with a White Sox cap. I don't know who's next. So just just hold on to Harold because he's in the Hall of Fame because I don't know who's next. I, I would say that because the bar is lowered, and, and I fought against this for a few years now, do not be surprised, especially with this generation of writers that choose Hall of Famers, that they take a long look at Mark Burley. Mark Burley's not a Hall of Famer either, but here's what's going to happen. They will look at guys that they perceive to be clean, and this is what's going to happen. That's that's the next Sox I can think of. Next year, by the way, who knows on the ballot? Paul Konerko's on the ballot next year. Paul Konerko also not a Hall of Famer, but you know what? You'll get consideration, and it's and now you're starting to lower the now Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame is going to start looking like the Basketball Hall of Fame in, in some ways. Where you know you get the again the Hall of the very good the guys that are not quite Hall of Famers but again I'm happy for Harold because I know that's a Reinsdorf favorite I know that people from a certain age like myself grew up watching Harold as a kid watching that '83 team and so I'm glad that someone represents the Hall of Fame from that team and and Harold Baines got a chance to um, talk to everyone in Cooperstown about his induction to the Hall of Fame. I mean, a guy that was really the embodiment of that White Sox team back in 83. Here's the thoughts now from good number three, Harold Baines. Baseball took me to the great city of Chicago, where in some sense I grew up with teammates like Greg Lazewski, Colton Fisk, Ozzie Guillen, Greg Walker, Ryan Kittle, and so many others. With a few of these guys around, is there any surprise that I never ever said much? Each of these men enforced my career and helped bring me here today. I owe a special thank you to former White Sox head trainer Herm Schneider, as well as his staff, Mark Anderson, Brian Ball, Alan Thomas, for keeping me on the field despite so many troubling needs. And to my agent, Jack Sands, thank you for your friendship and for guarding my money all these years, my financial advisor. Chicago became my home. White Sox fans became an important part of my extended family. Driving in Division I on September 9, 1983, Remains one of my career highlights. Chicago is a city that honors and appreciates hard work. I hope this is one of the reasons the White Sox fans connected with me and how I approached the game of baseball. But who could ever imagine an entire stadium led by August Nancy Faust chatting your name as you step into the batter's box? White Sox fans, thank you for all the cheers and love over the years, and I hope I made you proud along the way. My baseball journey did take me to many other stops, Texas, Oakland, home to Baltimore, and Cleveland, before I ended my career back with the White Sox, where as a bench coach on a 2005 team, we claimed the city of Chicago's first World Series in 88 years. What a celebration for two million White Sox fans on State and Wacker. I stand here today very appreciative of all the people who helped me reach to this point in my baseball career. Many are friends for life. I cannot thank them all. And I honestly look forward to personally thanking each, each of them with a handshake and a hug. But know how much I appreciate what you have done for me. I want to thank my many families and friends who traveled here to Cooperstown to be with us today. Several of my former teammates and many of my friends from the White Sox office. As I mentioned, 
at the start of my speech. I'm not an emotional man, except when it comes to family. I want to thank my wonderful mother, Gloria, my brothers, Linwood and Curtis, and my sister, Bertha. It means a lot to me that you guys are here today to share this special day. I love you. To my beautiful wife, Marla. I've been by my side every step of the way since high school, St. Michael's. Thank you, it's certainly not enough. We have been together at each amazing moment of our lives, and I'm so happy to share it today with you as well. You are the true Hall of Famer of our family. God love you. To my children and their spouses, Antoinette and Charles, Brittany and Josh, Harold Jr. and Kalia, Courtney and Andrew, as well as the next Spain's family, our grandbabies, Marley, Camille, Madison. I love you very much. While baseball often took me away from you far too long, the game has given us a lot of so many special shared moments, memories like today. I'm very proud of the current people you have become. Your presence here today makes my journey complete. Carol Baines meeting uh, the throngs that love him. Sox fans and fans of baseball right there in Cooperstown as Harold Baines goes to the Hall of Fame. Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Chris Kampka wrote this piece uh, from NBC Sports Chicago. We were talking about like who's the next Hall of Famer for the White Sox, right? So he's got a list. So if you're a longtime Sox fan, you know Minnie Minoso should be right at the top. Dick Allen is, is you know, I see these numbers in Dick Allen. Again, slash line, 292, 378, 534, impressive. Um, it was one of the uh, great hitters in a very tough time offensively in the 1960s. I don't know if many if, if uh, Dick Allen is going to be Hall of Famer, but he also lists Billy Pierce. I mentioned Mark Burley earlier. And as I said, Paul Canerco is going to be on the ballot next year. So there you go. And by the way, uh, Jeter will be very lonely next year because he's going in. Because he might get 100 percent of the vote, just like um, just like uh, Mariano Rivera did. So he might be very lonely <laughs> because there's no question he's going in. Um, so Harold Baines in the Hall of Fame, Lee Smith in the Hall of Fame as well. I watched Lee Smith almost his entire career. I'm I'm old enough to remember Lee Smith as a starter. That, that game's on YouTube, by the way. It was like a random, like, not September, like October, like, like like last weekend of the season. If you look up Lee Smith versus, like, Philly or, or Pittsburgh, 19, oh, gosh, like 81 or something like that, 1980. Lee Smith, 6'6", 260 pounds out there as a starter. And it was just like all those muscles, arms, and legs coming at you. And just you just knew that that guy was not going to be a starter for long because – he was one of the more dominant closers I, I, I've seen. Lee Smith. Lee Smith was one of those guys in that era. Hot sun at Wrigley Field. Lee Smith kind of just walking slowly into the clubhouse, falling asleep in the clubhouse for six innings until someone had to come get Lee and say, Lee, got to close the game. All right, man. All right. And so just like stretching his arms out. Ah, oh, long night. 
and then just slowly walking to the bullpen. That's when the bullpens were down the first and third base lines. And Lee would get warmed up. And this is during the time, by the way, when it was a three-inning save. That's that's Lee's specialty. It wasn't the ninth-inning save. He'd be out there for two and two-thirds, more times not, three-inning saves. And they you know, they go to the bullpen, and they signal Lee, and Lee would take at least ten minutes from the third baseline to the to the mound. <laughs> like he almost had to take two full commercial breaks because Lee would just he'd be counting his steps pretty much. That's how long it took him. And finally gets there. And sometimes it was a weird thing with Lee Smith, and you can't do it now, but he used to create his own save. Lee Smith would load the bases, right? Even a non-save situation, all of a sudden he'd load the bases, give up a run, or walk in somebody, and all of a sudden now it's a save situation, and now he created his own save. It's weird. I read a cool nugget today. Actually, Justin Tinsley had this in his piece in The Undefeated. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason why he worked so slow and walked so slowly from the bullpen is this was before there were lights at Wrigley, and he was friends with a lot of the guys on the grounds crew, and if they worked past four, they'd get time and a half. So he wanted to slow it down and help his buddies make some more money. That was part (laughs) of the story, which I think is great. I love Lee Smith. I mean, he he was an all-time great, and you think about in 1983 when he led the National League with 29 saves, went the Cubs, uh, he pitched at least two innings, 24 of his 66 appearances, you know, and, and led with three inning saves seven times, and 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 by the way, he threw smoke. It, it was there was no finesse. Lee Smith didn't have anything but the fastball, <laughs> and it came in there. I mean, I guess in the modern day, to explain to some millennials that didn't see Lee Smith, he was right-handed, a rolled as Chapman. I mean, he he was a hundred. 99, 100, 101, and, and just there was no finesse. Fastball's coming, hit it or not. Sometimes it was hittable, but some, most times it was not. Lee deserved to be in the Hall of Fame years ago, and I'm glad he's in now because in the era of closers, or what they called him when I was a kid, firemen, because he used to, used to be firemen because they put the fire out. Um, Lee Smith was again, he's the man, and um, he retired in 1997. All-time saves leader at that time, 478 saves. Led the league four times in that regard. So happy for Lee Smith in the Hall of Fame going in as a Cub. And it goes back to the Sox conversation. I don't know who the next Cub is going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I know who it should be, but he's in Miami waiting for a phone call from Tom Ricketts. Before Sammy Sosa could be a Hall of Famer for the Cubs, he needs to be accepted by the Cubs. Maybe new ownership by then. We turn now to Lee Smith. With his speech at the Hall of Fame. I went back to the Cubs, began the 1980 season with the Wichita Arrows as a reliever. Suddenly, it all clicked. I wasn't thinking seriously about the game as a starter, but as a reliever. I saw a tunnel to home plate, and I was painting. I focused on every at-bat, concentrated on each hitter. Five months later, I was in the major leagues. I stayed in the majors because of a young young man behind me, Mr. Ferguson Jenkins. He was my teammate, also my pitching coach, and like an older brother. I mimicked him on and off the field. I even started wearing the cowboy boots. <laughs> he was someone to look up to. Also taught me a great per- curveball, a third pitch that came very valuable out of the bullpen. I got to say, there's a young man out here in the audience, Mr. Gene Kleins. He was one of my first coaches in those early days with the Chicago Cubs. 
He was like a father figure, and I still look up to him. He always lent a helping hand when I needed someone to talk to. And he wasn't afraid to give me a little tough love when I needed it. Family means so much to me. I felt the warmth from the Cuff family every day I walked to the ballpark, even before I got to Wrigley Field. From the fire department across the street to the ground crew on the field. To me, it truly was the friendly confines. I love pitching at Wrigley. Yes, there was home runs flying out of the ballpark, especially in the late innings, when they get at the late innings in the game, but it helped me learn to pitch. Wrigley taught me to concentrate on every pitch. There was no margin for error. I have so many positive feelings about Chicago Cubs fans. Chicago's where I started, and they gave me my first opportunity to play in the major leagues. Even when I left, I knew I wanted to come back because I love it. Mr. Wrigley was a wonderful owner for having a young player. And what Tom Ricketts and the new ownership group have done is amazing. The same family feeling and what they accomplished in 2016 is unbelievable. While my plaque in the Hall of Fame has a Chicago Cub on my hat, all eight teams I played for were outstanding organizations. The fans in all eight cities had the same love of the game and felt that energy every time I recorded that 27 out. It drove me to try my hardest. Boston, when I was traded to the Red Sox, how lucky am I to move from Wrigley Field to Fenway? Really enjoyed my time in Boston, and the fans' love of the team and their spirit was undeniable. I felt at home in St. Louis because it matched my personality. A laid-back, small-time feel with fans who had great passion for their team. And those were some of my favorite seasons playing under the great Joe Torre. Well, Lee Smith talking, talking about his time in Major League Baseball. And again, two great speeches, Harold Baines and Lee Smith, a Sox and a Cubs player going into the Hall of Fame. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, ESPN app. By the way, speaking of the Hall of Fame, so Major League Baseball gets this wrong every single year. It makes no sense. So the Hall of Fame ceremony takes place, I don't know, I saw the cover starting at 11 o'clock on MLB, and there's games taking place while the ceremony's on. It makes no sense. This is why football gets it right every single year. Football has it right. It's, it's before... The Hall of Fame game. It's a Saturday. It's it stands alone as a great event. If you're a football fan, you love the Hall of Fame. And by the way, they get it right because you're not worried about PDs. You're not worried about uh, rumor and innuendo. You're just trying to get the best in to the Hall of Fame in Canton. But Major League Baseball, for whatever reason, on a Sunday against the games, has the Hall of Fame ceremony. Yankees played early against the Rockies on on Sunday. And then you have Mariano Rivera, one of the greatest, if not the best closer, and one of the most memorable Yankees in the history of the organization. And you have a game on. Why? It's pretty simple. What you do, baseball, and again, it's just Rob Manfred just 
so behind the times. I just thought this some of these things with baseball would get better when he got in the in the chair when Selig retired. I just thought things would be more progressive, more interesting. It just, I, it just to me, you start the Hall of Fame ceremony at ten o'clock Eastern or eleven o'clock Eastern, and no games are played until all the speeches are done. So if that means a three-hour window or four-hour window, whatever that show is, let them let the Hall of Famers speak, and then start the games. Whether it's it's two o'clock or three o'clock, whatever it is, it, listen. I, I know owners are concerned about a gate. You can't cancel the games. I understand that, but if it just has to. If it has to be this weekend, then you should be able to suspend the games until the speeches are done. Or how about this? As Eric mentioned to me earlier, how about this? Here's here's a novelty. Why don't you do it around the All Star break? Or are you afraid that people will have to pick and choose Cooperstown or the Hall or the All Star game spot? I mean, either way, you've got to be able to do better than this. And baseball, again, basketball does it right somewhat. I think basketball, it should not be in a random September. I think that that's ridiculous. I think that should be around All-Star Weekend, but that's just me. I think you should move the Hall, the All, the, uh, Hall of Fame for basketball around to different cities, probably the All-Star cities. That's just me. I, I, all I know is that I was upstairs here doing a show, and I look up at one of the monitors, and I go, oh, Jordan's speech is today. <laughs> it's like on a random Friday in September. That thing should have been on TNT. That, actually, all the networks should have played it. It's Michael Jordan. You know, it's on NBA TV, buried on a Friday night. So that so basketball somewhat gets it right, but not really. Football gets it right, but the baseball is the most egregious. Is the worst. How is it that that Marion Rivera, Elise Smith? Harold Baines, all these guys go in the Hall of Fame, but you got to get your balls and strikes in. You got to get your 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock game in. So dumb. It's dumb. That's, the, that's not how you grow your sport, and this is why baseball will continue to be the I Love Lucy of sports. Always behind the times. Every time. Write that down, Art. I Love Lucy of sports, baseball. Right behind the times. All right, coming up next. Coming up next, we find out the latest about the Cubs from Jesse Rogers. There's some news that's happening with this Cubs team. Maybe some changes here. We'll find out from Jesse from the Bay Area coming up next. Jonathan Hood. Hold on, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished. When I would ask tomorrow, y'all thought it was winning. On ESPN 1000. Maybach music. Yo, it's time for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's uh, we're, we're just going to have to take it one moment at a time. He's going to pitch. And then uh, it's not going to be like throwing a ton of pitches. We'll see how he feels and make the next evaluation after that. So hopefully it's going to be sooner rather than later. But after he throws, we'll know more. Joe Madden with his thoughts on Cole Hamels. As we go to San Francisco here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app, we'll have summer football for you coming up at the top of the hour. Jesse Rogers covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. And this hour of Under the Hood is brought to you by Enzo Custom. Experience true custom and get the suit that you really want. Go to EnzoCustom.com. Schedule an appointment and get $50 off by Tell Them Tom Waddle sent you. Hello, Jess. Good evening, Jay Hood. How you doing, pal? Doing very well. Uh, it's good, good to be able to watch some uh, West Coast baseball with the Cubs and the Giants tonight. Before we go into some of the news and notes from the Cubs, I just want to get your thoughts because you and I are uh, pretty much the same age watching Lee Smith and Harold Baines growing up. What are your thoughts on them going to the Hall of Fame? 
Well, they were both dominant in their own ways. I know that people uh, you know, criticized uh, Bain's induction a little bit, but, but that doesn't take away from how dominant he was with the White Sox. And the thing that stands out for both players, especially Baines, I guess, is the longevity. I mean, to be that good for that long um, is as impressive as, as just you know the big years that they both had. But they were good for a long, long time, and that's what stands out uh, to me the most. Now, I was more of a Cub fan growing up watching Lee Smith just completely dominate. I mean, the Cubs were spoiled in one sense. They had great closers back in the day. Bruce Suter was amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lee Smith was amazing. And, you know, those guys, um, you know, some of the best all-time Cubs, obviously. Lee Smith among that group now that he's in the Hall of Fame. So the the outstanding uh, production and longevity stands out to me for both those guys. All right, let's take a look at some of the news and notes around the Cubs. What's the latest on Wilson Contreras? All right, I think he's going to be activated Wednesday. I mean, he was pretty much ready a few days ago, according to him at least. But they didn't want to take any chances. You give him a little bit of a break. Remember, he, he second half last year wasn't very good. They need him down the stretch. They need that that fresh bat. So here was a chance. I mean, Joe has actually talked about this before, Jay Hood. He'd love for, like, every regular player to have that little break at some point when the grind gets at its toughest and, and come back a week later. Like, you can't give Chris Bryant a full week off without a reason for it. You can't give Wilson Contreras 10 days off without a reason for it. But Joe would love to do it if it didn't, you know, completely derail your season, of course. So they're, they're, they've survived. They've thrived, actually, without Wilson Contreras. They like the fact that he got some extra days rest. So he's going to be activated, and I imagine will start on Wednesday. And then, of course, um, the big question is, what do they do with the three catchers? Do they keep three? Do they go down to two? Do they send Caratini down? Do they move Maldonado? Do they flip him here before the deadline? All of that is still in play. They have not come up with an answer just yet. Sometimes things reveal itself. You know, maybe somebody, you know, tweaks something, and all of a sudden you, you have your answer for you come Wednesday. But the next 48 hours we'll, 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 we'll hear about some discussions and then get an answer Wednesday what they're going to do with the three catchers. Jesse Rogers covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So, Jesse, I'm sure you saw this on your timeline, and this is um, you knew this was coming. Addison Russell's a lot of I told you so out there based on how he performed. Again, base running, question marks defensively. You spoke to Addison Russell. What was this, some of his thoughts? Well, I will say this, and I'm sure this sort of uh, correlates to his personal life. Um, He's been very accountable uh, regarding his baseball uh, playing this year. He's always been at his locker when needed. I will say that he's not avoiding anything. In fact, and uh, this is strange, I don't think I've ever had a player offer up an, a, an additional mistake based on – hold on, Salt's yelling at me right now. Kinsler's yelling at me to get off the phone. Um, I don't think I've had met a, a player offer up an additional mistake um, – Compared, uh, compounded with the ones he's already made. And what I'm getting at is he admitted to me he's also missed signs on the bases or at the plate. He's missed signs from his third base coach. So you're talking about a guy that's made mental mistakes on the bases, missed signs, um, hasn't been able to track down pop-ups. I mean, it was an overall just terrible weekend, and I don't think it was the first time he was talking about missing signs. So he, he is being at least accountable for his mistakes. Now what's he going to do about it? He vows to focus in a little bit better. I think part of it in his mind is he's not playing every day, so when he gets in there, he's all anxious, wants to do so much. I talked to Joe privately about this, and he dismissed that. He said, I don't care that he's not playing every day. I'm paraphrasing Joe. He's got to focus when he's in there. You can't you can't play the game any different if you're in there once every three days compared to when you're in there every day. So 
He's aware of his mistakes, Jay Hood. That, that's, of course, one aspect of this whole thing. Admit your mistakes. But now you have to do something about it. And that includes watching and focusing in on the third base coach, which apparently is a problem as well. Jesse, this is uh, – it, it just seems, though, is that he, he came back because he wanted to help the ball club. He went through his rehab, and it's just a guy that just doesn't seem the same. Uh, you know, we were looking for the arrow to be pointing up for Addison Russell before all this was – that he uh, dealt with. But it just – you could just see that he's just not the player that I think Theo and, and Jed thought he would be. It, you know, sometimes you could bounce back from your troubles. It just doesn't seem like that guy. Yeah, and maybe this is the reason. Remember back when they when they retained him and – um, kept them and everything. I, I reported uh, as I did the research that people that have been players that have been suspended for this violation, none of them, none of them have returned to their old teams. They've all moved on, save a short 15 game one. I think Stephen Wright of the Red Sox had a minor violation. They've all moved on. Maybe it's just not a tenable situation to return to your old team and thrive. I'm not, he, if he wasn't behaving, he'd be gone, but. He's not exactly thriving. Maybe it's just too much on a player, especially in a game that's very mental, for him to be able to succeed in a baseball sense as he's trying to succeed in his personal life as well. So maybe this is the reason most of them move on, and maybe it is the, the, the you know, it, it'll lead to, to Addison moving on here as well, whether it be July 31st or during the offseason. So, yeah, he's not the same player he was in 16. We know why he wasn't in 17 and 18, but coming back from the suspension and going through counseling, you thought maybe the, the arrow you know, could eventually eventually be pointing up again. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing too much of inconsistent play. And you know, Joe still likes him on defense. It just didn't happen on Saturday. Jesse Rogers with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Any word on the lineup today? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much what you'd expect. Schwarber's back up there, number one. Bias, two. The key is Robo Garcia gets another start, and I like that. People clamoring for Ian Happ all of a sudden have missed the boat. Robo Garcia has done pretty well, seven extra base hits, and he's batting fifth, a key spot there. Um, and, you know, it's it's your uh, Elmore is in center, so those are, of course, the, the questions, second base and, and center um, from a night, uh, day-to-day basis. And he's got Robo Garcia, the better hitter in there, Elmore, the better defensive player in, in center field. So no big surprise there. But Russell has not started the last two games after that awful, awful afternoon on Saturday. You can understand why you get a lot of questions on your timeline about Ian Happ, though, right? Because, you know, the, the one thing that you know about the Cubs that last few years, there's always been that magic, somebody that can come off the bench, give you a spark, and also someone that is um, flexible to play a number of different positions. And so maybe that's what Cub fans are looking at. If, if, if not Zobris, maybe Happ. I think that's what they're looking at. Yeah, I know, Jay Hood, but I, I will tell you this is this is my pet peeve. It's the it's the backup quarterback syndrome. Everybody wants that guy in the minors. Everyone hated Ian Happ last year. Now they're pining for him. Meanwhile, they got a guy from Italy that's actually producing. Give him a little play. I know he went over four yesterday. Give him a shot here. He's got three homers, two triples for God's sakes. I don't even know if Ian Happ has two triples at triple A all season long. So I have nothing against Ian Happ, but it's just this pining for the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. Um, while everyone, you know, wanted Ian Happ off this team a year ago, so let give it Robo Garcia a little more respect than that. I, I understand what you're saying, but um, they need guys that can hit. They they don't have a thick, lengthy lineup right now. They have stars. They're top heavy, but it's not lengthy. And Robo Garcia has provided a little bit of a boost at least. All right. Uh, anything else, Madden, say that stood out to you that you could tell us? 
Well, a little bit about Carl Edwards um, going down. Um, I mean, he, he said it plainly. This guy's got to find it again. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago, uh, Joe called him uh, the linchpin to the season, in a sense, in that bullpen because of the stuff that he can do against left-handed batters. Well, you saw what he did yesterday against Greg Garcia. Foul ball after foul ball after foul ball before hitting him. Just doesn't have that dynamic stuff. And mentally, he's still up and down as well. So I think it's very telling that he is sent down after just one appearance after coming off the injured list. I mean, that usually we, we, we might be critical of that. What do you mean, give him one shot? But I don't think anybody is being critical of the Cubs for sending him down after just one appearance. So this is a guy that's, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, completely lost right now. And they are, I, I think they have now turned the corner on counting on him in any you know, significant way this season. Um, I said earlier today on the radio, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's if it, the next time we see him here is September 1st when rosters expand. Not saying that's for sure, but that would not shock me. They know who their plus or A relievers are, and Carl Edwards has just completely fallen out of favor in that regard. I can pinpoint it, my friend. Spring training, when you told me that Carl Edwards was working on a windup, then changed it back to where he was, and he was never the same. I could March, that's when it started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. He's faded in the last couple seasons, and, you know, they were trying to get him to play a full season this year. I think they were going to be careful of his workload. He's a smaller, thinner thinner guy. They were going to, uh, you know, watch him late in the season, back-to-backs. But he, he got off on a terrible foot, partly because of that delivery. So he's never really had a stretch. I mean, maybe one, maybe one this year where he's looked like the old C.J. Edwards. But, uh, I mean, he was really good in some, some – uh, you know, uh, time frames during 16, 17, and even the beginning of 18. But this year has just been a complete disaster for him. All right, my friend, uh, it, did you bring your books out to the Bay Area to sell? I know that you have some books that you'd like to, to sell out to the people out I'll there. I'll tell you, if I could write a Bruch Bochy uh, <laughs> biography, I think it'd sell well. That yeah. guy's beloved here, and they he's got them back in contention. Um, I, the, the attendance is picking up here. They're into, I, I wish I had the, the rights to a biography on Bochy because that guy's – Definitely going to the Hall of Fame. And if he gets him in the playoffs in his final year here, that's going to be a bestseller. But uh, Joe Madden's not doing too shabby either. In first place again, could be five for five for the playoffs as a Cub manager. So uh, pick up his bio. Try not to suck. Available everywhere. Very good. Very good. Nicely done at the end. You saved it. Thank you. All right, Jesse. As always, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. And by the way, tough. This ain't, ain't easy either. I mean, the Giants' best record no. in the National League since the All Star break at nine and two. This is also not easy for the Cubs this uh, in this particular road trip. They're eighteen and twenty seven on the road. I think playing Deerfield in on the road would be tough right now for the Cubs. So <laughs> and they can't take anybody for granted, especially a hot team. All right, buddy. Thank you. Okay, see you, buddy. We will uh, figure out who we can find for just one question next. Jonathan Hood. Super hot. Give me my respect. Give me my respect. I just took it left like on Ambidex. I moved through London with the Euro's death. On ESPN 1000. You're listening to Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We'll have summer football for you coming at the top of the hour right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Jonathan Hood with you. You know, we're on weeknights between 7 and 10, right, on ESPN 1000. Sometimes people just don't have time for a full interview, a full conversation. But sometimes they have just enough time to spend with us for one question. You guys lose this game or did the Jazz win this one? Time for one question. What? With Jonathan Hood. Bro, what are you talking about, man? I am number one. 
number one. Just one question. Oh, there's one more thing. On ESPN 1000. Time for one question with me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. I told Felix, go through your phone. I'll go through my phone. we got to find somebody to join us for one question. We went through the P's. We went through the R's. I said, wait, wait, wait. Stop at the Q's. Ah, the Q's. And we said that one right there. Whitney Young Dolphin, DePaul Blue Demon, NBA veteran, Quentin Richardson joins me, Jonathan Hood, for one question. Chicago Zone right here on ESPN 1000. What's up, Q? What's going on, Jay? How you feel? I feel good, man. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, man. I know you're busy. You got stuff going on, so I'm just glad you stopped by for at least one question. <laughs> yes, sir. You know, I got them kids running around, so I got time for just this one. <laughs> okay. All right, Q. Are you ready, sir, for your one question? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Quentin Richardson, question I have for you is, who is the one Chicago basketball player that should have made it but never did in your career? Ah, man. Right off the top of my head, I'm going to say who I played against in my era is Ronnie Fields. I would say Ronnie Fields is the one guy who I know had he not had the accident and, you know, injured his neck, he probably would have went straight out of high school, got drafted, and and who knows what else would have happened. But I, I feel like he was the guy from my generation that we all recognize and acknowledge him. And he's a big one of those what-if guys for us, probably the biggest one. Well, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a really good one. Um, next time I have you on, uh, I'll ask you about the fights you had with Paul McPherson to try to get the basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Hood. And I got what it takes to rock the mic right here. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app.